Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety Law Group with Wright Constable Skeen in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm joined today by my special guest, Mr. Douglas Allen, CMA with Forcon International in Florida. Say hello, Doug. Good morning. I'm coming to you live today from uh, the Fairmount Golf Course in Chatham, New Jersey, at the uh, Eastern Bond Claim Review Conference, literally 10 feet away on the other side of the wall. Everyone's out there having lunch, so I wouldn't be surprised if people uh, just sort of walk in on this, but we're doing the best we can here. Uh, so if you haven't heard uh, by now, Rich Pledger, uh, Tom Moran, and Justin Thatch from Richmond, Virginia, have joined Wright Constable and Skeen as our newest uh, surety attorneys in our brand spanking new Richmond, Virginia office. Uh, as part of our uh, affiliation, uh, Wright Constable and Skeen has become a sponsor of the Eastern Bond Claim Review, which is why I'm here. And uh, with the addition of our new attorneys, uh, we can now service uh, the surety industry throughout the Mid-Atlantic region, including, of course, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, and West Virginia. As you know, the surety today is offered only to in-house claims professionals and is designed to keep the busy claims professionals up to date and informed on surety industry issues. We appreciate your support and ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues in the industry you think may be interested in calling in. We also ask that you like and or share our uh, Surety Today posts on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, we really want to build up a following on those social media platforms. Of course, if you miss a live presentation, you can listen to a recording uh, in multiple locations. The Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com as a podcast at iTunes, uh, Google Music, Stitcher, and Podbean to search for Surety Today and on our microsite at suretytoday.net. If you have any uh, suggestions for future topics or improvements, please let me know. Uh, we have muted the line during the presentation to avoid the background noise, and, and we'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. So today we are going to talk about the seven deadly sins of the principle. First, uh, let me introduce my uh, special guest. Douglas Allen is a certified managerial accountant with Forcon International uh, in Braden, Florida. He holds both uh, an undergraduate and graduate degree in accounting and is pursuing his doctorate in accounting. He, uh, he owned and operated a contracting company that worked all over the country performing projects for the government. Prior to owning this company, uh, Douglas worked directly for the government, evaluating project schedules and providing uh, quantitative analysis on projected completion dates, etc. He published his first book last year. It's now available on Amazon, and uh, it outlines the procedures that he used to operate uh, a successful national government contractor business. As a uh, forensic accountant for Forcon, Douglas performs books and record reviews, financial audits, uh, payment bond claim processing analysis, scheduled delay claim analysis. He monitors uh, supportive contractors, provides performance bond claim reviews, including review of bonds, contract provisions, and claims. So he's uh, he's perfect to give us the insight on on the the deadly sins of uh, of principles. So the the impetus for today's presentation came from Doug presenting this topic at the Southern Surety Claims Conference in New Orleans uh, earlier this year in April. And after Doug finished, you know, I said to myself, i got to have him come on surety today. So today's presentation is essentially about character, you know, more specifically the character of the principal or the lack thereof. 
we've all heard about the uh, the three C's: capital, capacity, and character. And in the underwriting process, cap capital and capacity tend to take the center stage because you know they're they're more easily measured and qu and quantified. Underwriters can put them on charts and spreadsheets and identify trends, etc. But once the bonds have been issued, the character of the principal will become critical. As Doug noted in his uh, presentation at the Southern, a contractor with character overcomes hurdles related to capital and capacity. A contractor lacking character uses such issues to shirk, shirk responsibility to the obligee, the owner, and the surety. When the claims handler gets involved, it's important to determine what kind of character your principal has. Can you trust them? Will they be part of the solution, or are they the problem? When the principal starts to fail, the question is usually asked by the surety, how did this happen? The answer may lie in the principal's character. So today, we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins of the principal. Actually, because of time constraints, we, we, we might not get to all seven, but we'll focus on the most common ones uh, and get as far as we can. We'll discuss the behaviors that the claims handler can look for to determine if your principal has or is lacking character. Seven deadly sins, also known as the cardinal sins or capital vices, are a grouping and classification of vices within Christian teachings. According to the typical listing, they include pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. But we're not here today to talk about sins in the religious sense, but more in the sense of departure from expected, normal, reasonable, responsible behavior of the principal. While important from an overall standpoint, today we are not so much concerned with the spiritual well-being of the principal. Rather, we're looking at the impact of the principal's behavior on the surety. So let's look at the first, uh, the first sin, gluttony. Uh, gluttony is an overindulgence, an excessiveness, a disordered approach to consumption, usually associated with food. For purposes of this discussion, gluttony is associated with excessive or unreasonable growth. So, Doug, talk to us about gluttony of the principle. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, let's talk about gluttony. Gluttony really addresses the subject of overdoing it, taking it too far, sometimes working outside of your wheelhouse. I, um, I always tell the story about a trip I had once where I was in Sacramento meeting with the Corps of Engineers, and I sat in a room with a group of contractors, and each of them were talking about work, and, and one of them said, man, I'll tell you what, there is, if I could go anywhere, I'd go to Texas. There's so much work in Texas. And um, they talked about it and how they all like to move there. Well, what they didn't know is I actually hopped on a plane that afternoon and landed in Dallas, Texas. When I got in Dallas, Texas, I sat in another room at another core meeting, and the gentleman in that room, when I told him I just came back from California, they all said, oh, my goodness. If I could move anywhere, I'd go to Sacramento because that's where all the work's at. Point is, a lot of times contractors are so consumed, they're so positive, they're, they really get into this habit of, hey, let's just go where the money's, money's at, not worried about what I should be, shouldn't be doing my strategy, I'm just going wherever I can find a job. When you go in and you're looking in a default situation or in the early stages of the default, a lot of times you're going to see that, that they're overdoing it, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. 70% of business failures across the, the realm, that's all businesses, fail for one of three reasons. Number one, there's no strategy in place. Number two, they don't implement a strategy. And number three, their strategy is not aligned with their core competency. If you're dealing with a contractor and you discover one of these three things, it's going to tell you kind of what you're up against. 
Um, I just this morning actually was talking to a contractor that stood across the table from us and basically said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know why I did this. Um, they basically jumped off into something because it looked exciting and looked like they could do it because contractors think, hey, if I can if I can run a small business building sheds, well, surely I can build the Hoover Dam. That's just kind of how they think. Make sure that you, you ask a lot of questions. And when you ask questions, you can kind of get a feel for what you're going to be dealing with as it moves forward. Because if you identify this principle and you understand it, then as you negotiate and talk to this principle during the, the process of either in default, termination, what have you, you can kind of understand where they're coming from. I'll tell you this, especially look for expansion without explanation. And what I mean by that is a contractor that's working somewhere randomly for no reason. It's not part of their strategy. It wasn't part of their game plan. A lot of times they have trouble with that. Geographic relocation. Again, same thing. You know, what are you, what are you gearing up for? Why are you going there? What are you trying to do? A lot of times it's just because it looked like a good opportunity and they, they're going for it. And then growth beyond capital. This is something that you can see on a balance sheet or a financial statement. When you start seeing growth beyond capital, you're usually going to see things like people using a line of credit for things they shouldn't be using it for. Final thing on this, I'll tell you, and this is just a good way to end it on the subject of gluttony. I worked with a contractor, it was actually a joint venture that had won a substantial project at Fort Huachuca in Arizona. Um, I'm not sure if any of you are from Arizona. If you are, I'm, I'm sorry, but. Um, in Arizona, they have what's called a transaction privilege tax, which for some reason they think if you work in Arizona, it's a, tra it's a privilege to work there and they tax you for it. The reason I'm telling you that story is because when I went into this meeting in the JV, these people were all excited and they just won this project. And, and I said to them, I said, okay, so you bid it in Arizona. Why did you bid there? Well, that's because, I mean, it was available. And then sure enough, I dropped the next question. Did anyone account for the Arizona transaction or Arizona privilege tax. They didn't. Ultimately, they ended up dealing with the surety because that ate up all their profit and, and put them in a default situation. When you're in the claims process, make sure you're really looking for that type of attitude with a contractor because it's going to tell you a lot about what you're going to be dealing with moving forward. Michael? Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've got a case right now where the, where the contractor is a flooring contractor. For some reason, he thought he could do a uh, a security fence and a new two-story guard building at a uh, juvenile detention center way up in the mountains in Maryland. And he lived on the eastern shore, which Maryland's only about the size of a postage stamp, but he was about as far away in Maryland as he could get from the project. And he realized quickly that, you know, getting back and forth, he couldn't be on the job all the time. And the, the limited contractors out there was kind of an old boys network, and uh, he, he, he quickly failed. <laughs> So uh, let's uh, let's move on then to the next one. Uh, the next sin that we're going to talk about is greed. Uh, greed or avarice is an inordinate or insatiable longing for material gain, money, power, or status. In the world of construction contracting, greed is a particularly bad sin because there's so much money changing hands, you know, with every payment, and nothing but the character of the principal to protect it from misuse. The temptation for greed is real and constant. A greedy principle is a dangerous principle. Doug, how do we spot greed in our principle? One thing I, I should mention is that these sins typically occur in the order in which I have them. And what I mean by that is 
typically contractors don't start out greedy, but they start out overdoing it and they start touching that that money and and it, it's great. I mean, you've got to realize a lot of contractors up until they became a contractor worked a you know they were a plumber, electrician, and a trade. So all of a sudden they're on this other end of things and it's the money's nice. They start adjusting their living accordingly. You got to watch in this phase because they'll start ex- experiencing lots of problems. They'll start overspending, um, and they start feeling really good about their success because they made it through the gluttonous stage. So they overdid it, and it worked. And so now they've got money, and they're starting to feel kind of proud, and 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 that's a big deal. And pride is a big issue, um, and glut and greed as well. They all kind of work together. A lot of times, what you're going to see is you're going to start seeing a lot of leveraging, meaning they're going to leverage debt, property, whatever it takes for them to keep that house of cards or that empire standing. Now, here's the key with greed, and this is what a lot of people miss. Greed greed requires cash, all right? And a lot of times you'll go into a contractor and you will see greed despite the fact, and this is a hilarious story from just this morning. Just this morning, we were at a a contractor's place, and we leave their uh, office to drive to the job site to look. He's in a Jaguar, or Jaguar, however you want to say it, in front of us, and asking us for for money. And I think that's hilarious because in their mind, they've got to keep their structure, their empire together. They've really passed the point. So in their mind, it's reasonable to ask you for money and continue to pay themselves and drive nice cars and all these type of things. Make sure you really look at the statement of cash flows. This is one statement a lot of people don't understand, um, but it's an important component of the financials, and I would say that you really need to look at it because that's going to show you how the money's coming in the business and how the money's leaving. There's only three ways money comes in or leaves, uh, with the exception of fraud, but um, operating, investing, and financing. You may see a lot of distributions, You may see a lot of loans outstanding. You may see lines of credit that are maxed out, and they're basically using that line of credit for all types of different things. Um, Sometimes it's not even for business purposes. A lot of times what I like to do is ask companies, hey, not only give me your line of credit, but show me in the last year what you've used the money for on this line of credit. Sometimes you're going to find some pretty uh, crazy things for what they've used their line of credit for. I've seen things as uh, down payment on a house once for a line of credit. I mean, some crazy things for their personal house. Make sure you scrutinize the whip for overbilling. Okay. Now, a lot of people say, well, overbilling, underbilling, and you you need to understand what has occurred when someone overbills. All right, they're front loading, what have you. It's not necessarily bad in some circumstances, but it is bad if they're doing it because they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You hear a lot of contractors make comments like this. You know, if you don't get all your profit within the first four months of a project, you're doing something wrong. What they're really saying is get all your cash up front, and then when the next project comes along, get all your cash up front on that project and keep yourself going. That works until you get slow and run out of projects. So you really want to watch for cash in the greed subject. Go ahead, Mike. All right, thanks, Doug. So... Looking at uh, the next uh, sin, we've got <clears throat> we've got lust. Uh, we're not talking about uh, lust in the sexuality way. We're we're talking about bad behavior. 
behavior that is unacceptable in violation of the contract or applicable law, the kind of behavior that can jeopardize a bonded project. Doug, what are some examples of this sin and what can the surety do, you know, in response? All right. One thing I always talk about, I don't know if any of you know the name Jordan Belfour. Probably don't know that name, but if I said the Wolf of Wall Street, you'd know the famous movie. This guy, could, you know, if you watch the movie, it was horrible. But in reality, according to the FBI files, only 5% of his dealings were fraudulent. The reason I tell you that is because when you're dealing with a contractor that's in trouble and you go meet with them, it's very easy to listen to their story and you talk to them and they're very nice, kind, and all of a sudden you start, I mean, it's human nature to start feeling kind of like, you know what, this person just had a bad, a bad rap. But you've got to remember, if you're seeing the signs of gluttony, maybe they're working on a project outside of their realm, and then if you see some greed signs, I promise you there's some bad behavior going on because that's usually how it tracks out. Look for things like sloppy arrangements or agreements with subcontractors. False reporting. That's right, false reporting. Make sure your accountant or whoever is evaluating the job uses source documentation. Misappropriation of assets. Okay, this could be financial reporting or just using assets incorrectly, using cash for personal things. And then look for personal issues like divorce. I'm, I cannot tell you how many times you see a contractor in default and then you find out that everything's failing. Their marriage may be failing. A lot of times it's because they've got into something, they've bad behavior. And when the wife finds out or husband, whatever, um, they're, they're in a little bit of trouble. Make sure when you're doing a, when you're in this situation that you really put your auditor hat on. And what that means is when you put your auditor hat on, you, you kind of ignore everything else going on. You let no bias come in and you evaluate the contractor in that sense. And a lot of times you'll find some things that, that you don't like to find. And what's important on that from the claim side is, is make sure you have the right controls in place throughout whatever decision you make to get that contract done. Mike? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Doug. That's uh, that's important. Uh, we had a, we had a case where we met with the uh, principal, and he seemed like the nicest guy. And and the more we kept looking, we saw that oh, he hasn't uh, paid eight hundred thousand dollars in withholding taxes, and oh, looks like he's got a, a vacation home over there on the coast. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, the IRS, uh, you know, had this guy uh, arrested and put in jail. So. Uh, the next, uh, the next sin we'll, we'll look at is, uh, we're going to combine two of the, uh, seven. We're going to, we're going to combine sloth and envy. Okay. So, um, uh, these two sins together, uh, I think my wife, uh, would, would probably say I, I suffer from sloth at home, but really, uh, you know, I, I'm just misunderstood. Uh, what we're talking about here is, is in the contracted sense is apathy and losing focus. So the project is in disarray, the books and records are in disarray, the principal is focused on some other business or hobby or the next big thing. Uh, Doug, talk to us about these two sins, sloth and envy. All right, well, let's talk, start talking about sloth. And, and, Michael, I understand your situation. We probably should start a support group. But um, we all understand what I'm about to say, whether we like to admit it or not. Because, if you know, at some point in your life, most of us have had, even as a small child, when you start doing things that are wrong, there comes a point where it literally exhausts you. Okay, I have a 19-year-old son, and he's got some trouble 
And eventually it comes to a point where you can just look at them and they're just beat down. Because when you're trying to do all these things you shouldn't be doing and, and you've got bad behavior going on and you're trying to manage money and you're trying to keep this facade up, it, it is exhausting. And a lot of times what you'll have is you'll have a contractor that just plain gets tired. Now, why this is scary is because a lot of times when they get tired, they basically back off. They kind of lay down. So here's your project that you've bonded, and it's over here, and it's going along. And the other bad part is most of the time the obligee really feels for the guy and doesn't do what they're supposed to do and let you know in time. The reason I tell you this one and why it's so important is if you find this, you want to make sure that you understand that you've got a principle that's disengaged. And it's probably not going to be a lot of help to you. And a lot of times in a default, especially if you're considering whether you should relet a contract or what your decision should be, this is something you want to consider. Because the last thing you want to do is say, hey, Mr. Principal, we want to help you get to the finish line. And you've got a principal that has zero interest in what's going on and really just doesn't care. And when you're in those type of situations, apathy is not really what, you, what you're looking for. Here's a couple things you can see that will show you when you have a, a contractor like this. Internally generated financials. Look for trends. Like if they've given you financials every year, then one year it's all, all of a sudden internal. Bam. Underbillings. Okay, that's lack of management. Um, unresolved change orders or retention. That's telling you that they're they're just tired. They don't want to pursue it. I mean, you know, I'm tired of fighting, and, and maybe we're wrong. They're kind of losing that, that fight. And if you know anything about contracting, it's like my father-in-law father used to say, you contract for years. when people ask him now, he's retired, they say, hey, what did you do? He said, I was a fighter. And they look at him and they say, you were a fighter? What do you mean? He says, I was a fighter. And they say, were you like UFC? He's like, well, I wasn't UFC. He said, I was a contractor. And then they laugh and say, what's that mean? He said, well, I had a fight to get the work. I had a fight to do the work, and then I had a fight to get paid. So I'm a fighter. So make sure you, you understand that. Another thing that's really key, and this always cracks me up, whenever they're in this situation, the one thing they're asking for is additional bond. Because every contractor thinks, if I can just get one more project, then I can clean all this up. Okay, And that comes a lot from the guy that's just really worn down. Now the last, last one, Envy. We're all familiar with Envy, all right? Anybody recognize the name Lisa Marie Nowak or Nowak? You probably don't recognize the name, but you probably recognize the story. This is a Navy officer that put diapers on, drove from Texas to Florida to confront her fiance or boyfriend's girlfriend, whatever. This is a, an extreme professional. Now, what I'm trying to say here is Put yourself in the shoes of your own life and realize at times when you've done things because you've kind of lost control. You know, at the Southern Surety, I told everybody, I'm married because of jealousy. My wife went and met with an old boyfriend from high school, and the next day, I put a ring on that finger because I wasn't going to let that happen. Sometimes we do things when we get envious or we lose focus on what we should be doing. Logic goes out the door. A lot of times with a contractor... That's exactly what happens. You know, they went through all the sins we talked about. They're tired. They're done. And then all of a sudden, they, they start thinking, you know what? I'm going to, I think I should be doing something else. A classic one is every contractor thinks they'd be great at real estate. I don't know why they think that, but 
you'll look at their balance sheet and all of a sudden they're buying real estate. Well, now they're in the real estate business. Sometimes you'll see new business ventures that they're using money from projects to fund. You know, I've dealt once with an electrician and I said, hey, why do you have uh, dump trailers? He said, well, my brother is uh, lives in California and he's been working fires and I'm thinking about starting to do that. What? Total loss of focus. High training or traveling expenses. When I worked with the SBA, I was working with this one contractor and they were having problems and I, I said, I thought you were a local contractor. They're like, oh, we are. I said, well, why? what's all with the traveling? And they're like, oh, well, we're in direct sales, so we go to all the conferences. Wow, so you're telling me today here you want my help to salvage your business, and you're spending all your money on direct sales. Make sure you really look at understanding, again, where the cash is going and what they're doing. And then the other thing is assets not related to the project. Now, that can be a lot of things. They're spending money on things that just have nothing to do with it because their mind is no longer in the game. And the last thing you want to do is take a principal that's already in trouble and try to work with them when their mind is already checked out. So that kind of gives you an over, overview of sloth and envy. Mike? Okay, thanks, Doug. Uh, we're we're uh, getting close on time here, so we'll wrap things up rather than try to get through. Uh, we had... Two sins we didn't get to is uh, pride and wrath. Uh, those are kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> we see those all the time. So, okay, before uh, I open up the line for any questions, I want to let uh, everyone know that the next edition of Surety Today will be on Monday, July 8th at 1230, of course. And I'll be joined by my new partner, Tom Moran from Richmond, and uh, we'll discuss the notice, conditions precedent, and prejudice to the surety under the A312 2010 performance bond. Uh, and then the upcoming events in the surety industry, it's, I think it kind of slows down for the summertime, but we've got the Surety Claims Institute annual meeting coming up on June 19th through the 21st at uh, St. Simon Island in Georgia. So uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us today, and I look forward to speaking with uh, everyone again next month. Uh, so everyone take care. Let me open up the line here. Is now in talk mode. Okay, so the line is open. If anyone has any questions for Doug. Okay. Yes, I have a question. This is Ted Kupinski. My question is, what do you think of a uh, a contractor who changes accounting methods from a cash cash to a crawl? Well, yeah, that's a good question. My answer to that would be a couple things. And, and there are times, there are reasons to change from cash to accrual, but uh, you need to understand why. Um, a lot of times, as they get bigger, um, they'll change to um, accrual. If they're trying to, you know, if they're going to be doing official reviews, uh, any kind of gap compliance, they have to submit it, a, uh, they have to report accrual. The, the question, you know, you, a lot of times, most contractors convert accrual to cash for tax basis or tax uh, reasons. So if you have a contractor that switches, you need to find out why first. But second of all, if they do switch, just ask them to give you the work papers um, for when they switched to go back to cash for tax purposes. Yeah, we ran into somebody who uh, went from accrual to cash to accrual 
all in the space of about 11 months. Okay, well, that's from an auditing stamp. First of all, um, accounting standards, you cannot do that. That's You're not allowed to do that. You can't make changes. Yeah, that's what we thought. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. I mean, from a from an accounting standpoint, that's another topic. But from a standpoint of, of um, audit, if I saw someone doing that, that would just tell me they're trying to manipulate the financials to look however they, you know, whatever they're going for. And I would... I would start asking serious questions. The real deal with audit, with cash and accrual is just understanding how to convert it back and forth. Once you understand that, you'll probably figure out what they're trying to what they're trying to hide or inflate or whatever they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions for Doug? All right, everybody. Thank you again, and uh, everybody take care. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, Doug. Happy Thank golfing. You. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you.